Okay, let's take our Bibles tonight and turn to Philippians chapter number one as we stand in honor of God's word. Philippians in chapter number one. Uh, good to have Brother Sam Miss Sandy here. I mentioned that on Sunday and he starts a uh, preacher uh, eight weeks. Is it eight weeks? Seven weeks down Georgia and that area. Be driving, meeting to meeting. So will you pray for Brother Sam while he's doing that? I know many of you do faithfully pray for him and his meetings. And um, so I'm glad they've been able to be here. We'll have a little break, some vacation time before they get back at it. Good to have Miss Diana Brown here as well. That's a real blessing up from El Paso and got to say a word to her today as well. So that was really a blessing. So uh, thankful for that. All right, let's look at Philippians chapter number one. Philippians chapter one, we're going to cover the last few verses beginning in verse number 27 as Paul is Directing his attention to now the Philippians, he's, he's really been giving them a little bit of his affairs, his situation, his circumstances. And so now he's going to focus on their affairs or their situation and what, why he basically why he wrote them. And so we're, I mean, we're getting to the heart of the letter now. Not that what we've already covered wasn't important because it's vitally important. Every bit of God's word is vitally important in our lives. And, um, and so now we come, though, to what you might refer to as the, the core of, uh, of the letter. So let's look at it now in verse number 27. As we get started here, it says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that ye... Stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's a powerful verse. It's a powerful verse. And in nothing, terrified or intimidated, it's the idea there, and nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them, to the adversaries, an evident token or sign of perdition. In other words, that they're lost. But to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to what? Suffer. All right, so here's your gift. Right? You say, can I exchange it? <laughs> That's what we'd like to, to do. But no, it's a gift. It's a privilege, he's saying. So it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ. And he goes on, and he's going to remind them to be of one mind in the Spirit in chapter 2. And we'll, we'll come back to that another time. So uh, here we are, our uh, series, Countered by Joy. Uh, things don't have to be um, just right for us to have joy. Our circumstances don't have to be favorable for us to have joy. In fact, Paul was incarcerated. Paul was in prison in Rome and, and he wrote this and persecution was escalating. It was increasing and it was increasing in Philippi. 
And so we're calling the series Countered by Joy, because although, although joy is mentioned quite often in the book of Philippians and rejoicing and things like that, Christ is mentioned more. And he's the reason for our joy. Okay. All right. So here's the title tonight of Sermon 6. Let's get it together. Let's get it together before the world tears us apart. You got it? Let's get it together. Let's get it together. Do we have it together? I think, I think we got some work to do. Let's get it together. Let's get it together before the world tears us apart. All right. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's consider this here tonight. So I'm working on this uh, message and, you know, trying to get ready to, to preach and, and, uh, you know, coming down to, well, always coming down to the wire. There's never enough time in a week for a preacher to get ready. Am I telling the truth? Those of you that preach, it doesn't matter how long you have it. Anyways, um, coming down to the wire, needing an illustration, you know, to kind of help in the introduction a little bit or just some thoughts. And so I'd, I had literally just worked on on the part of suffering for his sake and, and such. And, and I went just... Uh, to my inbox there in the office and uh, picked up the newest Baptist Times. And I don't know if you already picked up this issue, but just by coincidence, not really, uh, but it's called the persecuted church. And I literally had just been working on increased persecution that was coming in Philippi. And so Brother Wayne as the editor, and uh, I, I hope you're reading these. These are helpful to your Christian life. I mean, just good discipleship material, you know, just good reading material, really. The persecuted church is this one. Um, and so you, you can see, I, I don't know if you can read it from where you are, but persecution is coming soon. Let's see if we're ready. Okay. Persecution is coming soon. Let's see if we're ready. The Bible says so, and current events say so. And he's got some current events going on, some uh, related to COVID and some of the restrictions that were placed on churches more than on other, other places, uh, things going on in Massachusetts. You can read it you know, for yourself. Uh, some related to what's going on with the LGBTQ+. Plus. Uh, some related to... Um, in relation to that, church in Florida enters lawsuit after being labeled an anti-LGBTQ hate group. And one of the spokesmen there said, if religious organizations are allowed to simply do whatever they want to when it comes to employment and aren't held to the same standards as other employers, despite what our laws say, then you can have millions of people who are really unprotected in the workplace. In other words, individuals saying that it doesn't matter if the organization is a religious organization, they shouldn't be able to say to somebody that is LGBTQ, no, I'm sorry, we can't hire you. So that, that's, that's where it's going. So I don't, I don't know. You don't know. We don't don't know what level of persecution that we're going to face. So why not get ready for whatever comes? Why not, why not have a biblical mindset um, already, regardless of what type of pushback that we're going to get? So he's got some things in here that way um, and says, uh, how are we to respond we must respond with a specific, a specific spirit. We must not compromise. 
Listen to this. Uh, disciples who can't withstand persuasion won't need to withstand persecution. I think five people got that. I'm not sure, but that, that was, that, that's a good statement right there. Then listen to this. Culture will have no need to persecute a disciple if it can persuade them. Okay. And so, you know, you got the vice grip there in the church, the timeless emblem of the church uh, that uh, Brother Wayne has used consistently there. And by the way, down at the bottom, I like this. Our response to persecution must be chosen based on our identity as Christians, not Americans. Okay. So some really good thought here, and it goes on. What if? What if there's no tax deduction for your contributions? What if there's no program for the ch children? What if, you do, if there's no screens? What if there's no uh, instruments or a band? What if there's no... Not that he's advocating a band. I'm just simply reading what he's saying here. What if there's just... Preaching without graphics or media, like just old school preaching and such. What, what if there's no coffee or donuts? <laughs> I mean, that, that alone shows you we don't know much about persecution, right? I felt like I was being persecuted today at a red light just because it went longer, right? So, I mean, we don't, we don't know much about suffering. We really don't. What if there's no air conditioning? Hey, I thank God for air conditioning. I'm not saying we vote to get rid of it. No, I'm thankful for air conditioning in the summertime and, and for heat in the wintertime. But what if there was no air conditioning? What if all we had was just one light bulb hanging down here? Would you still come? What, what if it wasn't padded pews? What if there were no pews? What if it was just the floor? Would you still come? And, and, and all these things, I think it's good for us to think because in many ways, if we're not careful, we get pretty pampered as Christians in, in America. Okay. So uh, persecuted church. So Paul is writing to a persecuted church. Um, things aren't as bad as it was going to get, but they were ramping up that way. He's writing to a very influential church. This church in Philippi was an influential church. Other churches looked to, to Philippi, Macedonia. Paul himself said, hey, have you thought about the churches of Macedonia? Do you remember that? And in his letter to the Corinthians, he said, listen, I, I do you to wit of the, or to know about the churches of Macedonia. He himself used them as an example. That, listen to this. They were a missions-minded church in all, in all these things. I mean, really, they were, they, I think, in that area and in Paul's heart even, they were a very key church. And not that a church, any church is not a key church. Every church is. But I'm just saying that Paul Paul understood just how important this church was. And so he's coming now to the main reason for his writing. And that would be because of what he's experiencing there in Rome. He, know, he knows that the tidal wave of persecution is headed their way. Okay, watch this. All you got to do to know what's going to happen here in, in our country is look at what's going on on the West Coast and on the East Coast. All right. And to see what's going to happen on the West Coast and the East Coast, look north to Canada. Okay, and to see what's going to happen in Canada, which I just watched a video of a of a pastor literally being incarcerated or or um, uh, um, arrested on the highway because he was he and the church were meeting. I mean, he's he's handcuffed and they're carrying him to the to the squad car because they they decided they were going to meet. And he's warning as he's being carried off and he's in this interview as well. He's warning churches in America, this is coming your way. You watch whatever goes on in Canada, you can look back and see what happened in Europe. I mean, it just trends that way. So if things continue the way they are, most likely we will face some form 
some form of restriction, of persecution, of something that's going to be, be difficult. I, I don't know what that might be, but regardless, uh, Paul knew that this tidal wave of, of persecution was headed their way. But in addition to that, watch this, they were experiencing, and this is the main reason for him, for him, for his writing of this letter, is that not only was there this external pressure of the culture, which hang on, wait, let me just put it on pause right here to say this. If all that we were facing as a church was just the, the influence of the culture around us, that would be enough to tear us apart. Are, are you listening to me? Are you listening to me? Because I, I'm telling you, we live in a, in a wicked culture that is not favorable to your Christian life. I know that you know that. I, I'm, I'm just coming through. I'm still working on, like Brother Noah was saying, I want to finish some books. And so I've determined I'm not going to take on any other books except the one that I just took on a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but I'm going to finish, you know, slouching towards Gomorrah. I just got through the, the part about the Supreme Court and how the Supreme Court has been actually acting more as legislative than, it's than what it's designed to be. And so, I mean, it's very eye-opening to see. And mind you, he wrote this back in 1996. Robert Bort did. And, but then I, I just changed. I just told Angie this. I, I just changed into the chapter about popular culture. And listen, folks, I was not ready to read what I began to read about the rap music Nine Inch Nails and some of these groups that I hadn't even thought about uh, since the 90s. I mean, groups that I don't even know if they're still in existence now or not. But I began to read some of the lyrics that were there and he put in explicative, not covering up the word. And, but I'm telling you, it's raunchy. And, and what has gone on in our country through MTV back in that day, and it's continuing to this day, and talk shows on, on, on just regular television and, and what is discussed there. I'm telling you, folks, it's adverse to your faith. And that culture alone, even if persecution doesn't come, if it's enough to persuade your thinking to just kind of blend into their way of thinking, and don't think that you're not a target of that because it's not just, it's not a certain ethnic group or, or certain group or segment of our society that Satan is targeting. In fact, I believe he's targeting our young people. And, and so even if that's all it were, was just, if that's all it was, was just the persuasiveness of a very, influential culture that, that really, watch this, that does videos well and that do music well. I'm not saying it's good music, but what they do bad, they do it well. Did that make any sense to you at all? I mean, they're very accomplished in their abilities in writing and in, in writing in, in, uh, storylines for movies and sitcoms, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there has been a very intentional agenda that has been carried out in our country while Christians have been asleep. And it's very persuasive. So even if that's all that we were facing was just the persuasiveness of our culture, then that would be enough to tear this church apart. But if in addition to the persuasiveness of our culture, if we also are going to face persecution, intimidation from a culture that looks at us currently as narrow-minded bigots. Are you following me? And like this is a cookie-cutter church. 
In fact, here's what's happening, all right? I'm just gonna be very straight up with you here tonight, not that I'm not other times, but I'm just simply saying, here's, here's what's happening. Southwest Baptist Church, by the grace of God, has endeavored to stay right where Southwest Baptist Church has been through the decades on the Word of God and on music and on other things that, that I believe are important in the Word of God. That, I mean, we're just basically trying to live this book out. Just live this book out. And the more that we live this book out and the further that culture drifts into the sludge and, and the... And the and the perversity in which that culture is going, the weirder and stranger and stranger that your family and your life in this church is going to seem. And thus there's going to be a time when, when you are either ridiculed or put down or made fun of because you go to this church or you live this kind of life, you have this kind of standards, you, you, you go, uh, prescribe by this or that. And, and so there's going to be some pushback because if they can't persuade you, they'll try to knock you down. I say they, and I mean Satan and his work and, and the evil culture. And by the way, if all you had to deal with every day was just you, that'd be enough right there to bring you down. Well, this is rather encouraging and uplifting here in the middle of the week, isn't it? But it's true, isn't it? It's very true. And, 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 and so here they are. They've got this persecution coming from the outside. But then Paul knows because of Epaphroditus and what he's heard, he knows, he knows that there's some strife from within. There's some bickering. There's some fighting that's from within. Chapter two, I mean, he gets rather specific. Chapter four, especially rather specific to say the name of these two ladies, you all need to get along. All right. Now, that's my rendition of that. He's saying, just point blank, stop fighting amongst yourself. You've got fighting coming your way. In other words, you better get it together before it pulls you apart. You better get it together before it pulls you apart because there was a great need then, just like I'm trying to preach here tonight, that there's a great need now for a unified stand. A unified stand. And a unified stand that is a biblical stand is a stand that is built on truth. It does not disregard truth. Sometimes somebody stands up and waves the banner of unity, which really they might as well just say, let's all compromise. We don't want to do that because we've got too many precious truths. But if we all are believing and reading the same book, following the same Christ, Influence impacted by the same Holy Spirit under the loving care of the same Heavenly Father. Why should we be surprised if our minds are not made up in the same way about the same things? That's not cookie cutter. Because there's a lot of different people in here. Right? There's something bigger a larger issue at hand here than just them enjoying church life. There's something larger here than just them having their own life in Christ. Although that's huge. But Paul is, is pleading with them to live a certain way. To, to stand, there's basically these two things. He's, he's urging them to stand fast and to stand fast in unity because persecution is coming. 
But he's got a big reason as to why it is so important that they would stand fast and that they would stand unified. And what I really wanna try to do tonight is to try to preach that exact same reason here tonight as to why you and I as modern day believers facing whatever we're gonna face, facing what we're facing today, that you and I, every one of us, and I wish in a sense that I could go to every, every member here and just make sure that everybody understood that this, this is you. Don't, don't, don't check out right here and think, well, he's preaching a certain segment of the church. No, this is a message to every person within this church building that we are at a time, I believe, as really is always the case, but maybe it gets amplified along the way a few times just in the sense of just how important it is that we would stand fast and that we would stand together. Stand fast and stand together, all right? Only, he says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Only, he's saying, listen, this is so important. In fact, you know Paul and you know his run-on sentences, this, the, his inspired run-on sentences. This is a one sentence, verse 27 through verse 30 is all one sentence. And really this one imperative, this one command, is everybody still following me here? I'm, I'm gonna try to walk through the text a little bit and explain a little bit of this and then also apply a little bit of this on the way as well. There, there's so much here that really ought to be preached. I'm gonna do my best to be mindful of the time. But at the same time, I think it's important that we get it. All right. And so this one verb, this, this uh, only let your conversation be, let your conversation be is a command. Let your conversation be. In other words, live like the citizen that you are. That, that's the verb. Live like the citizen that you are. Well, we'll come back to that. But, but as I understand it, that that one verb is actually the idea that has an effect all the way through chapter two and verse number 18. From chapter 127, it affects this section that we're looking at. It affects the next section of, of chapter two and verses one through four. It affects the section about Jesus in and, and verses five through 11. And then it affects how he begins to apply that back to the Philippians in verses 12 and through verse number 18. So I'm telling you, we are at a very, very pivotal point in the book. And so he says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Now, he's writing to these Philippian believers who are Roman citizens <laughs> living in Philippi. Philippi is a colony of Rome. So they're supposed to live out their citizenship in Philippi as though they were living in Rome. Well, that went over great. <laughs> However they were supposed to be living in Rome was to have a direct impact on how they live out their life, even though separated by miles from Rome, they were supposed to have the Roman culture in their life in Philippi. Now, these particular believers, much like you, have dual citizenship. You say, I don't have dual citizenship. I'm just born here in America, and so I am born an American. Well, I understand that, but if you've been born again, I said, if you've been born again, you have two citizenships. 
You have dual citizenships. And what we are here at Southwest Baptist Church and as Southwest Baptist Church, we are a colony of heaven. And so we're supposed to live here in Oklahoma as though we're living in heaven. So if you wouldn't cuss in heaven, don't cuss in Oklahoma. If you wouldn't steal in heaven, you say, there's a lot of gold there. Mm, come on now. <laughs> then don't be dishonest here. If you wouldn't listen to rap music there, and I guarantee you, there won't be nary of it. Not even so-called Christian rap. Won't be there. Won't be there. Because in God, there's no darkness at all. Read that this week in 1 John. So there, there, if you wouldn't listen to it there, don't listen to it here. Is this making sense? If you wouldn't be dishonest there, then don't be dishonest here. I mean, you take this. I mean, this is a monumental, pivotal truth that I need to look at myself as a dual citizen. I'm fully American. I, I want to do everything that Amer American does that's right. But at the end of the day, in fact, at the beginning of the day, my citizenship in heaven is the most important citizenship that I have. And the most important citizenship that you have is your citizenship in heaven. And that ought to trump every other citizenship that you might have. Amen. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Only let it be that way. Because otherwise you will misrepresent the gospel. You see, the grace of God has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldliness and, and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously in this present world, Paul said in Titus chapter number two. He's saying this, listen, you receive the grace of God in salvation and that ought to impact the rest of your life. The grace of God does not give you one ounce of license to sin. It gives you every single motivation to live for him as becometh the gospel, as is suitable, as is fitting, as is proper to the gospel. Somebody ought to say something like this to you. You know, you're not from around here, are you? <laughs> what do you mean? Well, uh, I, I mentioned Massachusetts a few moments ago. And I guarantee you when I went up there to preach in Massachusetts, they could tell I wasn't from there. <laughs> now, I've kind of camouflaged even my Kentucky accent, but every now and then it'll come out and you'll tell that I'm not even from here. But for the most part, Kentuckians speak Okie and Okies speak Kentuckian, right? I met a lady up there and I said, uh, what's your name? And she said, Masha. <laughs> <laughs> Brother Copes understood that. He's from Boston area. Masha from Boston. This was what was funny. Uh, she said, my name's Masha, but where you come from, you'd say it Marsha. <laughs> so I said, so you can say it. She said, no, my name's Masha. <laughs> said, okay, Masha. <laughs> you tell, I wasn't from around there. Hey, you know, just by the way we live our lives, somebody ought to say, you know, there's something different about you. Something different about your attitude here at work. I mean, it's hot and you still have a bad, a good attitude, sorry. <laughs> Wrong citizenship. You, you, have a, you have a good attitude and it's hot. How do you do that? Or, or you're getting along with your spouse. How do you do that? Are you, your, your kids, I mean, they seem happy and they're young people. <laughs> like those two things don't go together. 
And your kids, they don't, they don't listen to the same music that my kids, and they don't play the games I'm concerned about. In fact, I think people in the world are concerned about some of the things their kids are doing. But the point being this, the gospel ought to have an impact on your life. Every area of your life, there is not one area of your life that is not to have some application in some way to how the gospel ought to change your life. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. He says that whether I be present or whether I be absent. In other words, he's saying this, it doesn't matter if I come or not. I want to come, but if I don't get to come, you still ought to live for Christ. In other words, if, if the teacher leaves the room, the students ought to be acting right. If the boss shows up and suddenly people start working, then there's a problem there. Paul says, whether I'm present or whether I'm absent, really shouldn't make a bearing on your Christian life because you have been saved by the same grace of God that I've been saved by. So let your conversation reflect that as it becometh the gospel of Christ, whether I be present or absent, that ye may stand fast. There it is. Stand fast. Stand fast. Persecution is coming. It's a military term. Don't give up any ground. Don't give up any ground. Stand your ground. Stand fast. God's given you something. Don't, don't give up on it. Stand fast. Uh, Brother John Steele and I had some fellowship after the new members reception and, and I, I, he, was, uh, he was just stirred that day about some of the things going on in our country. And here's a, here's a, a young dad raising a young family and, and he said, you know, I was inspired. I forget the whole context of it, but I believe he was reading there in, in 2 Samuel 23 about Shammah. Shammah was there and he was defending a part of ground, a parcel of ground where there was lentils, beans, Legumes, that's how you say that. I mean, just, <laughs> I don't know, help me, Angie. Beans, you know what I'm talking about now. I mean, these little beans, and that was about it. And, and, and you would think, well, why was he so, because the Bible says the Philistines were coming and he stood his ground and he defended the beans. He defended the lentils. Why? It's just a bunch of beans, somebody might say. No, it's the ground that Joshua fought for under God's authority and that God gave to them. And he didn't want to give up that ground. Too much ground had been lost. Hey, listen, you and I are recipients of some battles that some godly Baptists have fought in the past and, the, and God gave them ground and God gave us this ground. I'm concerned about Southwest Baptist Church here tonight and any church is only one generation away from extinction. And that's why your generation as young people, you got to learn to stand regardless of what the world around you is doing. And they may think that you're just fighting for just a hill of beans, but you tell them that you're fighting, you're standing your ground, you're standing fast on the eternal preserved word of God that God has given us and on the deity of Jesus Christ and the life-changing gospel and his church and baptism and the Lord's Supper. And we're not backing down from these things. We've got to stand our ground. Stand fast. Stand fast for biblical marriage. Stand fast for morality. Stand fast for, for purity. Stand fast, he says. Stand fast. Mercy, stand fast. Stand fast in one spirit. In one spirit. There's discussion. Is this the Holy Spirit or is it a spirit of unity? Hey, I, I would say this. If there's unity in a church, if there's a spirit of unity in the church, I know where it did not come from. It did not come from Satan and it did not come from the flesh. I'm talking about true unity. 
biblical unity. Are you following me? If it's the right kind of unity, it was not produced by the flesh. It was rather produced by the Spirit of God bringing us together in a church family to where we love one another, care about one another, and care what's going on in one another's life, and where, where we feel like, hey, we're working together in this. It's not like one person's more important than another, but everybody here is important in the work of the gospel. I'm telling you, every one of you here are, are vitally important in the work of the gospel because one person, one family, one group cannot do it by themselves. They've got to have the help of the Holy Spirit of God that brings us all together where we stand together. Amen. One spirit, one mind. You see, see right there, clones, bunch of clones at Southwest Baptist Church. No, not clones. It's not cookie cutter, it's Christ-like. That's our goal. If you're saying, well, you're all like Christ, then I would say this, thank you very much. But I've still got a long way to go. But I sure want to be like him. I want to be like him. Do you? I want to be like him. Every one of us need to be like him. And, and if we are, if we're trying to be Christ-like, then he'll bring us together in unity. But we better get it together before the world pulls us apart. Because there can be a spirit of disunity and divisiveness that's right here at Southwest Baptist Church. I believe today that if Paul were to write a letter to Southwest Baptist Church under inspiration, it would sound a lot like the book of Philippians. I really do. Because he wrote to an influential church that was missions-minded that had rising persecution, that had some areas that they needed to work on in terms of unity and standing together. Because if we're not careful, we can allow that there's hmm, pockets of disunity at Southwest. And I know, I know that is not God's will. It's not. It's not God's will and, and, and I don't think there's anything that's like blatant, but there, there can be, um, I need to, when you lose your hair, you got to do something else in terms of sweat and sweat. Um, Satan, no doubt, and our own flesh would allow and the spirit of the age itself could tear this church apart. And certainly the enemy of the gospel, because the reason that we need to stand fast and be unified, stand unified, is this, and according to Paul, the two things were these, Christ and his gospel. That's why, we, this, that's why this is so important. Christ and his gospel. It's not us and our positions and our, our personality or our identity and us, 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 us. No, it's Christ and his gospel that we are just, let me finish the verse. I've been trying to for the last 30 minutes. Standing fast in one spirit, one mind for the faith of the gospel. For the faith of the gospel. Well, what does that mean? Well, I mean, it, it, it definitely means this. Like what Jude said, to earnestly contend for the faith, for the faith. But it also has the idea that the faith is the gospel and thus that's the way that people get saved. So the reason that we need to work so hard with the help of the Holy Spirit in standing fast and, and being unified is that Christ deserves it and the world needs him. 
And that's why we gotta stand together. And we gotta stand fast. Striving, did I say that? Striving together, that word is interesting. Striving together, it's made up of two words. Soon, which means with, and then athleo, which, which is like the word from which we get our word athletics. Together like athletes. So Paul used an athletic illustration right here. He'd already used a, a political one with the, the, um, the citizenship and then he used an army or military illustration. Now he's using one that is a little bit more like they're fighting together, wrestling together, working together as a team in the Olympics or the Isthmian Games. We got to work together. Side by side, side by side in the work of the gospel. I'm afraid that sometimes Christians go about their Christian life more like gaga ball than like what the Bible has in mind right here. What's the idea of gaga ball? I saw Brother Ted out there playing gaga ball. I was pretty impressed. And it was him and, the, and maybe Trevor, I don't know, the last, he made it all the way to the last. I think his rule for the game was, okay, I don't get out. <laughs> so when you're in the gaga ring, it's a, you know, the wall about yay high. And the idea is you take the ball and you, you try to roll it or hit it, hit it and knock the ball into somebody else. If it hits any part of them, then they're out. That's not standing together. That's trying to get somebody else out. And I think Christians sometimes play that way. I'm better than you are. I'm more important than you are. You're sinful. You're a legalist. You're a flaming liberal. You follow me? You're a progressive. You're a... I'm going to stop. See how that can happen? That's not how God wants us to operate in the church. It's not us versus them in the church. No, no, it can't be. It can't be older people of the church and then the young people of the church. I'm not against a youth group, but I know this. Young people, you all need to be around older people because that's how you're going to learn how to be an older people. <laughs> you got to have it. So, but, but a church, a church gets in trouble when the youth ministry starts to go a certain direction to try to get in more youth, playing music like they like, which is probably more like the music that the adults like too. You following me? And thus they try to bring in a group and have a big old youth group by letting them play whatever game device is most popular. Hey, come on. Why, why would young people need more of that? I'll tell you what they need more of, Bible preaching. And, and I know that's where we are, but if we're not careful, we can allow the mentality of the world to begin to define how we do youth ministry. That's divisive. To have a, um, to have a contemporary service and a traditional service is a split church. That's a split church. That's a ch okay, wait, let me use the right terminology. That's a church split. You say, well, no, they're still in this. No, that's a church split. They're not together. God wants us together. God wants us together. And, and, and so you got this, the traditional church coming at eight and then the contemporary church coming at 10. Because evidently the contemporary church doesn't have enough character to get up early enough to come. 
Ooh. Well, I've never seen it otherwise. We, have you? Nope. It's a, it's a church split. And Satan has effectively split churches all across America. But we got to stand fast. And stand fast together. And, and not, not say, well, why don't we do more of this music? Or why don't we do more of this? Or why don't, I mean, I know, I know, I know. I know that we've covered a lot of that before. And so I'm not going to belabor the point here tonight. But I'm telling you, there are many ways that Satan could get in right here. It could be old against young. It could be long-term members versus new-term members. Well, I'm praying, and I'm thankful to God right here that the spirit of the church seems to be that new members feel like they're getting assimilated pretty quickly into the church body. That's the way it ought to be. It ought not be, no, 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 you haven't been here for 15 or 20 years or 30 years yet. By the way, you are in my pew. I will have you to know that I have sat there for 25 years. There's none of that. There can't be any of that. There can't be any of that. We can't let the spirit of the age determine what kind of church we have here as though this would be a certain ethnic group type church. I, we had some time in our family devotions and I said, boys, can, can you all see how that the effort to apply the Bible to life has helped our church have all kinds of ethnic groups here? And we have, I, I mean, you know all the groups that are here. I know that we predominantly look out and I see a lot of white faces, but I also see some darker faces. That's a blessing. Some of you have been in the sun. <laughs> Others, you were born with a tan. You are to be envied. <laughs> there ought not be a white church, black church, Hispanic church. I realize language sometimes creates some of that. But what if God called a, a, a black man to be the next pastor of this church? How would you feel about that? It wouldn't be one problem with that. That'd be, that'd be wonderful if that's who God chose here. Are you following what I'm saying? It's, it's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing that God does. But we better not let the spirit of the world and the age come in on any side of that issue and divide this church. We better not. We better not. Not at all. And, and another area I think that we face is a danger for us is this. I'm just going to say it. Southwest and Heartland. Well, I realize there's a lot of Heartland students here. Well, they're not here right now. So this is a good time for me to say it. I mean, there are some here. But um, we, we, we better thank God for the opportunity that he has given us to try to train a young man like a Noah Kiesler to how to preach the Bible. It is a God-given, and, and if, if we ever get to the point, and I'm not saying we got a big problem with that, but, but, I, but I am concerned about it enough to address it to say this. We better be careful because that spirit could come in here and say, well, they're Heartland and we're Southwest. Now, how about we just say this, we're Southwest. And we've got some Heartland students here too that, that are training. But we also have some OCCC students 
We don't treat the OCCC students differently than we do the Heartland students. You've, uh, wait a minute. The Southwest people. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. You say, well, I mean, they come in and they take over everything. Well, only if you let them. Only if you let them. Well, they're, all, they're doing all the, the bus routes. Well, we're trying to get others to get involved in bus ministry. We're Southwest. <laughs> I mean, you, know, you see what I'm saying? We get, the, the most vital thing that happens in their training, I mean, they learn a lot. Brother Greg does a great job, I know, teaching in that children's ministry class, Brother Ted, Brother, Brother Seth, uh, and, and all those that are involved in teaching how to help young people. But I'm telling you, there's nothing like what happens when a student that comes here gets around a Miss Shirley Caves or, or somebody else that's a longtime member here at Southwest and they learn from them how to love a bus child, a child that comes in on the bus ministry. Are you following me? You say, well, I mean, they're the professionals. Let's just let them do it. They're not professionals. They have no idea what they're doing. Why do you say that? Because I was a Bible college student and I know I had no idea what I was doing. I was really wanting to do it well, but I had no idea. I watched a clip last night. Angie was showing us some videos of where Tyler is and, and how that they learn in basic training, how to hold the, the grenade. I think I told you about that and how that, how that when they're going through the lunch line, some of you that were in the military remember they have you carry your, your cup to the table to sit down like this. You feel real weird. And he didn't understand why they had them do that until they got out there and they were learning how to handle a grenade. And they taught them, hold the grenade right here so you don't drop it. Well, that's smart. But they learned first how to hold a cup that's full of water or orange juice or whatever it was. See? So then I watched this video and you got this instructor. I mean, he had wartime, you could tell it. And here's this young, I mean, like 18 year old. And he's, he pulls the pin and he... <laughs> He angles it, am I doing all right? And then he's like this, and then he throws it like that. And then he goes, <laughs> that's smart. Hey, you know what I, uh, what I was thinking, Brother Noah? He dropped a grenade in here on our flesh. He did. Our flesh wants to hear the word, not do a thing about it. But our brother, he was up here, and he maybe felt a little awkward about it. He pulled it, got ready. And delivered it. And it does not matter, friend, if that's, a, if that's a, a young man that just got into his fatigues and he's, he's just learning how to throw a grenade or if it is a seasoned veteran that has thrown a bunch of grenades in Afghanistan or Iraq. It does not matter because what matters is that is a live grenade. And that word that he preached, the Bible is the word of God, regardless of how old he is or how long he's been preaching or how old I am or how long I've been preaching or how old Brother Sam is and how long he's been preaching. It's the same word of God that'll boom and you better be careful how you handle it. You see what I'm saying? So let's not get this mentality. It's Southwest and Heartland. How about we just have this? Let's stand fast together. One spirit, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel and nothing terrified by our adversaries. Why? Because we don't have one thing to be terrified about because we've got the truth. And even if they persecute us, it's been, it would be a, a gift if we look at it the right way. It would be a gift that they would persecute us because I like what Matthew Henry said. He said, actually, the condition of those that are, that are the persecuted are better, is better than the condition of those that are persecuting. Because it's an evident token that they're lost when you do right. 
even when they treat you wrong, that they're lost. And it's an evident token that you are saved when you handle adversity in a right way, because then you're following the steps of your precious Savior. So, we better get it together before the world, through its persuasive influence and ungodly overreach into our lives, tears us apart. What do you mean right there? I don't want to see another young person leave church. Hey, by the way, another area of device could be this, and we'll deal with it more because we're going into chapter two and it's, I mean, it's on. And it's not like there's bus kids and there's church kids. No, there's kids that need the gospel. All right? There's kids that need the gospel. And I've learned this. A kid growing up in church can be just as ungodly as some kid that didn't. So we better get all this out of our brain and get this in our mind. Christ and His Word, what's going to help it go forward? And let's stand fast together in the faith for the furtherance of the gospel. I don't want to see another young person leave church. I don't want to see another family leave church. To do that, hey, we've got to stand together side by side. You know, sometimes when you see them stand together, think about that in a soccer game, they stand like a wall together. Or you see them stand together, they walk out together. Football, am I right? Coming out, you know, and, and ready, to, ready to get the game on and such. They stand together. We've got to stand together and be there for one another. And when one gets down, let's not criticize them. Let's go help them. Let's go help them. Father, thank you tonight. Thank you for making us citizens of heaven. We don't deserve it. Thank you for allowing us to hear the gospel. Help us to live as becomes the gospel, as is fitting for the gospel. Thank you for Paul and his love for the church. <clears throat> Thank you for our Savior and his love for this church. And I pray you'd help us against a persuasive society that wants to ill affect individual members and families of the church. And God, if we face some form of persecution in the future, then God help us to stand fast in one spirit, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together, page 377.